As we start, I want you to think about a decision that was made completely apart or separate from you maybe years ago, maybe even before you were born, but that directly affects you now in some way. It doesn't have to be a bad decision. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Let me give you a, a for instance in, in my family. I am not what is known as a handy person. Don't smile, Jason. Um, I've worked construction, actually. I thought, well, you know, this will help me get a little more handy. I've put in a ceramic tile floor in our house and done some things around homes before in my life. But it's, not, it's never been without someone kind of right there watching me and also with, without many extra trips to um, Home Depot for wasted materials or whatever may be the case. I was never actually taught how to do these things, though. That's the, that's the thing. I was never taught how to do any of these things because my dad never did those things in our home. He was not handy. He never fixed a car or fixed anything around the house. And so growing up, my mom was the fixer-upper, and so I was just never, it was never modeled for me, and I was never taught. This wasn't, though, because my dad actually made the choice not to do these things. It's because he had a dad that wasn't very present, and because he had a dad that wasn't very present, he was never actually taught how to do these things either. But it wasn't because my grandfather was trying to be a bad father that, that, that he wasn't very present. It was because when he was growing up, his dad showed up, as I was told, about once a year, basically to, to get his mom pregnant. She had seven kids uh, that, that lived and several other pregnancies along the way. And then he would disappear for the other 10 or 11 months of the year. And so my grandfather wasn't really taught how to be a dad. And therefore, when, he was, when my dad was a child, my grandfather wasn't really present and didn't really model some of these things for him. And therefore, my dad never learned how to do these things and thus never taught me how to do them. Well, what's the point of this? My wife would very much like to have a handy husband. But she is experiencing the effects of a decision made generations ago. Do you see what I'm saying? Generations ago. Now, with that thought, so do you have an experience like that? Is there something in your life that... that, that, that that you experience? Is there some decision you make or, or that you've made in your life that really wasn't about your decision but was about something that happened in the past? With that thought in mind, I want you then to think of this quote as well. I want you to hear this quote and put this quote in your mind as well. We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. And with that memory in mind and with that quote in mind, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 1. The book of Judges, Judges chapter 1. Judges begins with Israel's further movement into the promised land, into the land flowing with milk and honey. They are conquering some things. Joshua is still alive here at the beginning of the book of Judges. And I want you to, to, to count... How many times the phrase, as I read, I want you to count how many times the phrase did not drive out or the derivative thereof appears as we begin reading in Judges chapter 1, verse 21. Judges chapter 1, verse 21. But the people of Benjamin 
did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Now jump down to verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, or the Can- for the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Verse 29, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, so the Canaanites lived in, lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun, verse 30, did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nehalah, so the Canaanites lived among them but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or, or of Alab or of Akizib or of Helba or of Afik or of Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. How many times do we count the phrase or a similar phrase, did not drive out? Anyone count? Eight. Thank you, Becky, good student. Eight times. Eight times in 15 verses, the Lord inspired the writer to put in this phrase, and they did not drive them out. Now, with just a casual reading of of this section of the text, it doesn't sound like such a bad thing in their cultural context. Now, to our cultural context, it's offensive, but in their cultural context, it doesn't seem like a bad thing. And why do I say that? I say that because in their cultural context, Uh, slavery was not viewed in the same light as we have. And so we read here in the scriptures, in verse 28, but they put the Canaanites to forced labor. In verse 30, so the Canaanites lived among them but became subject to labor. Verse 33, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. And verse 34, the Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heraz, in Ajalon, and Shalabim. But the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. The people who were once themselves under forced labor are now becoming the master, the perpetrator of such a thing. It would seem that by allowing in their cultural context, not in our context, but in their cultural context, it would seem by allowing the inhabitants of the promised land to remain, this actually was a benefit to them. Think about it in this way. Here they are, a new people in a new land, setting up new cities and building new towns and new dwellings and, and, and learning how to, how to live as a society And they get to do all of this with free labor. With free labor of all these people they allowed to remain in their land. While it may seem within their cultural context like like an acceptable thing, this is not a good thing. Which is why God inspired the writer of Judges to, to write down the phrase in 15 verses eight times When you see something repeated that many times, that closely together in Scripture, it's good to pay attention to it. 
Good to say, okay, what is God trying to communicate to us here? And God wants us to see something. He says eight times in 15 verses, they did not drive them out. Keep your finger in the book of Judges and turn quickly back to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 33. The book of Numbers, chapter 33, beginning in verse 50. This is when Moses was still alive before Joshua became the leader of the Israelites. And Moses is still alive, and and they're just outside of the promised land. And Moses is receiving instruction from God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 50. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross over the Jordan, into the land of Canaan, verse 52, listen to this. Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figure stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and live in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. Again, we see a repetition of a word over and over again. God says, you shall drive out all the inhabitants. Why? So that you can get rid of all their figure stones. You can get rid of all their molten. So you can get rid of all their idols and demolish all their high places. The children of Israel were specifically told, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land. When God inspired the writer of Judges, he didn't repeat the phrase eight times in 15 verses just as a point of history, just to make some reference to history. He was setting up the reason. He was was giving us a, a foreshadowing of the reason why Israel, for the rest of their history, would fight and deal with chaos in their land. But before we get there, I want us to go back to Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 2. Verses 6 and 7. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. When Joshua, verse 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people, listen to this, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Note this. Note this in your mind. For the rest of Joshua's generation and for the generation that followed Joshua, the people, the Bible tells us, the people followed the Lord. They did the things of God. The Bible says the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that came after him, the generation that came after him. For all the years of a generation and a half, so so potentially over 100 years, Joshua lived to be 110 years old. I'm sure the elders that, that followed him lived as, as equally long. All for, so for more than 100 years, the decision to not drive out the Canaanites didn't seem like such a bad idea. It didn't seem like such a bad idea. After all, after all, they had all this free labor now amongst them. The people were still loving and following God, and they had their free labor. I wonder, I wonder as I read this text, and as I think about this text, how many decisions have we corporately made as Adventist Christians that for years maybe did not seem like that big a deal, but now the negativity of the negative effect of those decisions is beginning to show themselves. Let me give you just one example. 
Let me just give you one example that I think of as I was pondering. What are some decisions that we've made within the context of our church? You know, the role originally for the pastor within the Seventh-day Adventist church was primarily to be evangelist church planter. Do we, we were aware of that? Evangelist church planter. That's, that's the role, that was to be the role of the pastor. In fact, back in the early 1900s when A.G. Daniels was president of, of, the, of the church, back in the early 1900s, we planted one church for every 1.7 pastors in North America. One church for every 1.7 pastors. So we were multiplying rapidly. Somewhere along the way, the decision was made that the pastor's primary, primary role would be to be the primary administrator, the primary uh, uh, nurturer, the primary business maker in smaller churches. I remember when I was in uh, uh, smaller churches, we had to make the bulletins and, you know, unplug toilets and do these things. Any pastors remember those days? There's pastors in here? Thank you. A few of you remember that or a few of you don't want to remember maybe unplugging toilets in a church. This was the role, this, and the pastor became all these things. Well, when the pastor began to take on all these roles and no longer was their primary function to be church planter and evangelist, for years, this might not have seemed like a big, big deal. But now, all the recent studies that we're finding are showing that when a pastor serves in primarily an administrative and nurturing role and not primarily an evangelist and church planting role, that the church not only stops growing, but it's actually beginning to shrink. It's actually beginning to shrink. A decision made years ago that might not seem like that big a deal, but actually is now having great impact. How many decisions corporately have we made? How many decisions corporately have we made as Adventist Christians that still may not feel like that big a deal, but may one day come back to bite us? How many? How many decisions within our own personal family lineage lineage have been made that don't seem like that big a deal, but, but maybe on the horizon they could be a challenge. How many decisions are we currently making ourselves, even as, as adults, as parents within our families? How many decisions are we currently making that may not seem like that big of a deal to us now, but may have far greater repercussions down the road to the generations later? I think of a number of families that I've spoken with in my life that, 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 that are concerned that their kids, that their kids are not bringing their grandchildren to church. And this bothers them. But then you begin to hear some of the story and you realize that, that, that church wasn't really in their family about knowing Jesus or, or connecting with Jesus or, or falling in love with Jesus. Church was just something they did. And now their kids have said, you know what? We don't just need to do something just for the sake of doing something. There was a decision somewhere along the history to make church a cultural thing, but it never became a matter of the heart. And now they're looking at it and they're saying, why are our, our kids not taking our grandkids to church? Well, why should they? Why just go through the cultural hoops just for the cultural necessity of it? There's decisions that are made years before that have great impact on us now. Verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Listen to this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. 
Continuing in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. Hear that last phrase. From among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And why were those people around them? They were there based on a decision that had been made by a generation, a generation and a half previous, hundreds of years before, a decision that seemed for over 100 years to have little or no negative impact on those that went before, but now was having devastating effect on the later generations. Are there decisions that we make? Are there decisions that we make that may not seem like that big a deal now, but potentially could have great effect on our kids or our grandkids or our great-grandkids. In fact, the rest of the book of Judges is the story of this continual struggle. What Cindy read to us from the book of Daniel is, is, is an outpouring of this story of this struggle. That struggle eventually led the people to saying, God is not enough. Our priests are not enough. Our prophets are not enough. We need a king. And then when they got a king, they said, God, you gave us the wrong king. We need a new king. We need a, we need a different king. And eventually God said, well, I'll let you have what you want. And they ended up in bondage. We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. Notice in our text today, at what point, at what point did the poor decision of the past become a problem? At what point did the poor decision of the past become a problem? Verse 10 of chapter two. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Those bad decisions multiplied at the point in which the people forgot what the Lord had done for them in their history, in their past. What the Lord had taught them in the past. Here's the truth, y'all. We are all subject. We are all subject to the bad decisions that have been made in our past history, whether within our families or within the church. We're all subject to these bad decisions. How those decisions, though, ultimately impact us depends on a lot on what we learn and what we remember from the past, on what we learn and what we remember from the past. The Israelites got in trouble when they forgot about where they came from and what God had taught them in their past history. The, the bad decision wasn't really a problem until that generation forgot where they came from and what they had learned in their past history. When they no longer cared about the history of their people. This is where they got in trouble. Some of us are in trouble. Some of us are in trouble because we're letting past history dictate our present reality. Some of us are making poor decisions in our life, not because, not because they're the right decision, but simply it's just the way we were raised. And so we're repeating that generation after generation. Rather than learning from history, we are letting the negative of history rule us. Some of us are in trouble because we have forgotten who we are as a people, what our primary mission is, what we have been taught by God to be truth in these last days, what our mission is to be in these last days. I was reading, Rick, our historian, I was reading just last night, actually, 
the history, some of the history. I've read it before, but I wanted to read it again. I was reading just last night some of the history of um, this church. I couldn't sleep, and so I got up and I read. It didn't put me to sleep. The history of the church didn't put me to sleep. I had to put on some Gaither music, and then that finally put me to sleep. Good old Gaithers. But I was reading about the history of this church, and what I found so interesting, what I found so interesting is that this church was founded on a deep evangelistic spirit. There was a group of people who, who, who came to know Jesus through the work of the Hyattsville Church. Any of you ever been to the Hyattsville Church up there? Through the Hyattsville Church. And they said, we want to do for the Burtonsville and Spencerville area what this church did for us. And so a group of 10 people got together and began discussing what they were going to do. And, and then these 10 people decided, we're going to go and begin to work that area and try to reach those people and, and plant a church there. 10 people. It's interesting, I learned this after I moved here, that two of those people, the Doyles, actually were the great-great-grandparents of my brother-in-law, Matt Doyle. I didn't even know this until I moved here and, and discovered that when I got here. But these 10 people began to, to go out and to go forth. And, and, and every single Sabbath, Ella Mae Robinson, the granddaughter of, uh, of Ellen White, actually wrote a letter about it. She said, every Sabbath, Mrs. Wilson and Mrs. Doyle had us out there in the afternoon, sometimes with perspiration pouring down our faces, sometimes blocking the, the blizzard that was striking us in the face. But every Sabbath, we were out there going door to door to door on those rough-hewn streets, on the, those roads. There was no paved roads out here at that time going door to door to invite people and to share with people the good news. She says to share with people the good news of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. That's how this church got started. That's how this church was founded. I say that that's interesting because of this. When I was brought here, the search committee said, Pastor, we want you to come here. Chad, we want you to come here because we want to have an evangelistic spirit again. Somewhere along the way, the decision had been made to, to not embrace that history, to not learn that history. And so this church was continued to grow, but not with new people falling in love with Jesus, but with new people wanting to go to our school or with, with new people that were, that were coming from, from, from other churches. 75 years this year is the age of this church. In the fall, we're gonna have a 75th anniversary celebration for this church. But this church began with an evangelistic spirit. And, and, and some people, when we came to our, our evangelistic meetings this year, it was kind of amusing. We were having our evangelistic meetings, and we were preparing for them, and there was a group of people meeting, and, and someone was staying with them. And next year, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll have some hiccups and some bumps along the way, but next year when we do this again, we'll, we'll be better prepared for those because of what we learned this year. And several people in the group said, we're doing this again next year? Seriously? This isn't like a one-off one and then we're, we're good to go? No, we're doing it every year, folks. The evangelistic thing again, the evangelistic spirit. Why, why would that even be in us? Because somewhere along the way, we've forgotten what our primary mission is. We forgot even the history, how the Lord led this church in the first place. The reason we have these stained glass windows, the reason we have all this beauty is because 10 people 75 years ago, actually 76 years ago, got together and said, how can we reach that area with the love of Jesus and the promise of his soon coming? 
We need to remember who we are as a people. But in our homes as well, we need to remember what God has done for us, what we've been taught by God to be truth for these last days. How do we do this? How do we do this? Not simply just looking back and going over history again, but, but there's something deeper to it. There's something deeper to it. First of all, we have to recognize that, that, that maybe history's been wrong. I told you that story at the beginning about how, about how I'm not very handy. And therefore, people like Richard Jacobson or Mark Noble or Tom Hinkle or Richard Reinhardt, or if any of the rest of you want to raise your hands, if you're handy, just raise your hand right now and we'll call on you some other time to come fix something at our house. But we, we, I stand there with the tools, or, I, or Christina actually knows a little better than I am uh, what actually the tools are named, and so she's better to stand there with the tools. But, um, but other people have to fix it. But Christina has said, you know what? I do not want our boys to grow up not knowing how to do these things. And I've said I agree with that. That's a, that's a good thing. And so we've made a decision that our kids are not going to repeat the history of the past. They're not gonna be my grandfather, they're not gonna be my dad, and they're not gonna be me. They're gonna, they're gonna know how to do things. Something else that she's teaching them how to do is to cook, because I, don't, I know how to make an awesome peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I, I make the greatest peanut butter and jelly sandwich ever in history, man. I, I mean, you get I, I, that, that jelly, I, I know how to put on just that extra amount of jelly to make it so wonderful. And uh, apricot jelly, crunchy peanut butter, it's wonderful. Now I'm getting hungry. Um, but I don't know how to make anything else. Christine, Christina would tell you, well, it's because I was spoiled and my mom made all the meals. I would tell you it's just that I was spoiled and my mom made all the meals. So we've decided, too, that our kids are not going to be like I was, where they don't know how to make anything. And so we're going to, to teach them these things. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna end the decision of past generations within our family. Some of you, there's decisions that have made. There's, there's things that have been repeated in your generations that need to end now in your family. Jamie and Kim, you have Daniel, and I know you have the most wonderful parents in the world, but I'm sure they would admit that they're not perfect. And there's decisions they made that need to probably end in that generation, in the next generation. There's decisions that, 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 that my parents made that need to end in this generation. In churches, there's decisions that have been made throughout history that need to end now. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. It's not simply just about looking back and pondering the past, but, but there's, there's, a, there's a looking back that is, that is necessary and, and a reflection that is necessary that will truly change us. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, if you remember, Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of what? The hall of faith chapter. All these people that that went throughout this history of Israel, that are in this hall of faith, that are examples of, of great faith for us. Not perfect people. In fact, a lot of very, very imperfect people. But people that even though they had struggles and even though they, they went through those challenges, they continued to remember what the Lord had taught them, what the Lord has promised them, what the Lord had, had instructed them. And their credit, it's credited to them as having faith in God. And verse 12, uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews begins with this in response to that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about the people from the past. The author of Hebrews is talking about the people from the past. Since we're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us 
also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking, verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Something very interesting. Paul here, who I believe wrote Hebrews, is saying, in order for us to run the race ahead of us, we need to learn from those that have gone before us, this cloud of witnesses. And more important than that, we need to look back and remember the cross. In order to move forward, we have to actually look back and remember the history of the cross. How do we end the generational decisions that negatively affect so many of our lives? We look back and remember Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We remember the life that he led and, and, and we're motivated, we're, we're drawn to live that life in that way. And then realizing that we can't live that life on our own, we remember the cross and remember that he gave us victory at the cross. We remember that he sent the Holy Spirit to give us power and to give us strength to be overcomers, to be victorious in this life. How do we overcome the past? By remembering the past Remembering what we've been taught, but most importantly, looking back and remembering Jesus and what he has done for us at the cross. It's amazing. It's amazing. The way to run the race successfully is to look back at the cloud of witnesses and to look back, most importantly, upon Jesus and the cross and what he has done for us. And that will give us true success to overcome the generational decisions that have so negatively affected us and so negatively affected our church at times. Let us be a people that while striving forward for God's cause, will never forget the past and never forget what God has taught us in the past. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We pray for your blessing upon us now. We pray that you will teach us. Please forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for the times in which we've forgotten how you've led in the past. Forgive us, Lord, for blindly following the past at times. Forgive us, Lord, for choosing, for choosing to embrace the bad decisions of the past. Lord, and help us now to turn our eyes upon you, to look back and to remember your life and your death, and your resurrection, and to know that with you, all generational negativities can be overcome through the power of the cross and the love of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.